Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. So on today's episode, we have on another special guest. His name is Terry McMullen, and he is a corporate strategist and the host of the What's the Value Podcast. Thank you for coming to the show, Terry. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And so just to hop into it, could you tell the uh, listeners a little bit more about what you do and your background? Yeah. So um, my passion is the podcast that I do called What's the Value? And the reason I'm passionate about that is I love philosophy, um, psychology, sociology, really just trying to understand people, how they think, how they function, that type of thing. Um, my background kind of by training or by, by work that I do kind of officially, though, it's kind of a business background. Um, I studied business in school. I was a, a management consultant, kind of strategy consultant for a while. Uh, went to business school and currently work in, in corporate strategy for, for a corporate company. So I'm kind of in this little bit of a constant conflict for me of, you know, that kind of corporate world, the more traditional life, and then kind of where my passion lies. But but that's kind of the quick background. I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. And, uh, you know, I don't want to incriminate myself, but you know, <laughs> I, I definitely would say that I get a little bit more fulfillment from doing the podcast stuff than, you know, showing up to the office. It's just uh, different whenever you get to craft something in a way that's unique to you. And you get to yeah. control all the variables, but uh, you know that that's just me. But hey, I think yeah. you should tell them where you went to school. Uh, so Boston College undergrad, and then Harvard Business School for my for my business for my MBA. Harvard yeah. Business School, man. So this is the first time that I've spoken to a Harvard graduate. Actually, I oh I yeah, think, I'm pretty sure this is the first time. Yeah, I don't know that I'm representative of them, but it's you know <laughs> you got to start somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, you know any part of it's hard to get into, especially the business school too. I mean. I know like Wharton is maybe like the best of the best when it comes to business schools, but it's still Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it it rotates. I know Stanford's up there too. There's a bunch of really good business schools, but uh, yeah, it was exciting. That was, you know, it's one of the biggest accomplishments I had in life. And in some ways it was like, um, it's a means to an end, right? You get an MBA, you go to a school like that, but in some ways it was an end for me too. Just like, Mm -hmm. you know, some validation in that for myself. And uh, honestly, it was one of the best two years of my life. Um, part of the reason I went to Harvard Business School is because they use the case method, which is kind of like the Socratic method of the teachers really just ask questions to the students. And it's just like an ongoing conversation to teach everything like finance, marketing doesn't matter. And that kind of ties to, you know, like my real passion of just kind of debating, discussing, kind of working through stuff. So so I enjoyed that a lot. It was a really cool experience. All right. One question I have for you about that is. Yeah. Uh, what would you say is the reason why you don't mention that whenever you talk about your background? It could be for a few different things. You know, I'm kind of thinking of possibilities in the back of my head. You know, some people yeah, might not yeah, want yeah. to come out and say that because it, it can come across as like maybe pretentious or like, you know, you think you're better than, than other people or maybe yeah. another way is just uh, may, maybe you think that there is a certain stigma or something that you don't want on you. Is that what would yeah, you say a- is the reason? I like this interview already because that's a really good question. Um, you know, it's probably complicated as most things are. I think you're hitting some of it. I think like very simple is is that like I've met too many people and maybe I'm, you know, I think overthink things too much that kind of use that as like a badge of honor and and they they can be kind of jerks with it. So mm-hmm. I don't I never want to come off that way. Um is it, definitely probably part of it. Um, the other thing is like, it's related to that. And this probably sounds like I'm making it up and just, you know, talking to, to what sounds good, but, but I think it, there's some truth to it. Like we're more than just where we went to school and who we are. Like, so in some ways I don't want people to think I'm a jerk, but I also don't want them to like pigeonhole me in any way. Like I, I'd rather mm-hmm. you just, you know, get to know me and get to know you. So I usually don't mention much of any of the details of my background, not cause I'm hiding it or anything. It's just like, I care more about the person. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I, I definitely get what you're saying. And this is something that I've talked to like a lot of my friends about, and I've even touched on it in the content where uh, people place so much of like their self-worth or their identity in, you know, the, the status or the titles and that sort of thing. And I guess just from what you've talked about, you've gotten to the point to where you realize that that's really not the most important thing. That's not really what defines you. And it's great seeing it come from a person who, you know, pretty much is at the pinnacle, you know, when it comes to, you know, where you got your education is doing that same thing, deciding not to identify with that. It's really just interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you know, to be, to be fair and honest, like there's times when I debated in my head of like, should I use that more to get people to listen to my podcast or to get on more podcasts? Cause there is some appeal to it, right. There is something cool about it. Um, but yeah, ultimately it's just, just not, I, I try and be as authentic and genuine thoughtful, but also just kind of instinctual and just, it never felt right to, to bring that up too much. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure too, if you think about it, because, you know, when you say, oh, I went to Harvard, people mm-hmm. automatically have this expectation that you're supposed to be just amazing at whatever it is that you do. And it can make it to where, you know, the experience might not even be fun, you know, because mm-hmm. of course, even though, you know, you're highly educated doing the podcast or just anything that you decide to do in your free time, you could be new to it. And maybe the people that are coming and listening to your content may not consider that because, you know, just they just see the name of the school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's probably something to it, which I've almost like um, embraced that to an extent where now it's almost more like I enjoy that, like juxtaposition of it because mm-hmm. people meet me like I, I don't think you do video, but like I got kind of a straggly beard here. I'm not like I don't dress super fancy or anything like that. My passion is more philosophy than it is business. Um, and often it kind of catches people off guard. Like you went to Harvard Business School, like for real. Um, I remember the last day when I was I think it was when I was moving out of there, like after I graduated and everybody was moving out. And there was a bunch of guys, like a, a moving crew that were helping people move out. And they saw me walking on campus and they thought I was with, they're like, Hey, yo, we need you over here. Like we got to help move. Um, Cause they thought I was part of the moving crew. And I always thought that was kind of cool. Like that's what I'd rather be. Just kind of like the way they do. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Yeah. But um, I guess we kind of touched on the first topic that I wanted to mention and it's getting rid of your ego. We mentioned that ego is something that's uh, something really tough for guys to deal with. And it leads to a lot of guys not really getting, the results that they want in life, just because they allow that to kind of cloud their judgment, the decisions that they make. And that also kind of plays into, you know, one of the things that you put a lot of work into your, uh, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, you're a Drogo thought process. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like if you could yeah. give the listeners a little bit of background information about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I will go wherever you want to go with it too, but I think related to what you're saying in terms of getting rid of the ego, um, that was always something that was big for me. The, the way my ego played out is I, I don't think I was ever like an arrogant, I'm sure I was at times like an arrogant jerk or anything like that, but I was more of a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. So like my ego was more like, I just need people to like me and I'll uh, do what needs to be done to get them to like me. You know, I'll, I'll kind of not, not be genuine, not be myself at times. Like whatever you need me to be, I'll be that so that you think I'm cool and you like me and all that type of thing. Um, so that's always kind of been a thread throughout my life. And I think to, to the Adrogo kind of thought process, um, it's really just, you know, it's kind of a kitschy name I put on it, but it's just trying to be more thoughtful, trying to be more self-reflective, questioning, really gets back to questioning, back to Harvard Business School, why I went there, the case method, the Socratic method, you know, if you think back to Socrates, just always asking questions, always assuming you don't have the answer and just trying to learn more and get more. And what I've found is like, our minds are such that like, they're just inherently flawed, right? Everybody's flawed, nobody's perfect, but like, from an evolutionary perspective, even like the society has, has gotten way more complex than our minds had time to catch up with. So I think our minds lead us astray a lot. I think we have a lot of things, biases, ego issues, blind spots, all that stuff. 
And the only way you can overcome it, or, or maybe the best way, if not the only way, is like you got to play chess with it and almost like outthink it and question it so that you can't lie to yourself, right? You can't BS yourself. You kind of got to figure your way through it. So for me, kind of embracing that kind of personal philosophy has gone a long way to kind of minimizing that ego and just getting comfortable with who I really am. Cause that's, what's at the core of it. Right. For me, it's mm -hmm. always about fear ego to me. The other side of that same coin is, you know, you use an ego to protect you because you're afraid of stuff. You're afraid that you're not good enough. You're afraid that you look weak. You're afraid of whatever it is. Um, so by using that kind of questioning and understanding myself better, you're able to figure out who you are and that comfort. Once you have that, you don't really need the ego as much anymore is, is how I found it to work. Oh, okay. I see where you're coming from. And, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what would you say yep. was the catalyst that led to you eventually deciding to think in that way, create the thought process for yourself? Yeah. I mean, there's always a lot of things, right. But I, mm -hmm. I thought about this a lot because I knew I was going to be on this show. The, probably the biggest number one thing for me, uh, was my wife. My wife has multiple sclerosis. So, so that's for, for those that don't know, it's like a autoimmune disease where your uh, immune system attacks your own brain ultimately. And like the nerve, um, the nerve, um, like the things that insulate the nerves within the brain. Um, so like it, it, it destroys a lot of functionality. It does a lot of things. And, and she, um, she's had it most of her life. She had it since she was 18, but after we had our first child, um, cause of some treatment she did and she had to go off her medication, it got like significantly worse. And probably over the last like five to seven years, it went from like, yeah, it was just something we dealt with to like, she can't walk on her own anymore. Um, her hands are like constantly shaking, um, she can't really see her eye vision. Her vision got really bad and is really shaky. Uh, her memory, even like her mental cognition has been impacted. There's like bladder issues. It's really like a whole host of stuff um, that's totally changed our lives. And if I'm being totally honest, um, for a couple of years, when it first started to get really bad, it was tough for me. Like I, I found myself angry a lot of the time. Like I love my wife and I, and I knew she was going through something terrible. And that's, you know, I wanted to be there for her, but it impacted my life a lot too, if I'm being honest. And you know, it added a lot of stress, a lot of burden. I had to take on a lot of things because we had a kid as well. Um, and I, I struggled to do, I just couldn't. And I, and I would often say to her, like when we would get into disagreements, um, like, I wish I was a better person and I could handle this better. And like my own ego and needs didn't get in the way. And I wasn't maybe as selfish as I am, but, but this is what I am. And it hit a point eventually where I was like, Hey, I'm just sick of being angry all the time and, and being pissed off and be like, there's truth to that. Like, I do wish I was a better person. So why not try and become one? And like literally to, to, cause I knew leaving wasn't an option for me. That just wasn't the right thing to do. I love my wife and you know, you don't leave somebody when they're in that position regardless, but on top of that, I loved her. So that's not an option. So I'm going to be here. I got to figure this out. And I know the way to, to, to be able to figure this out and still enjoy life to some extent is I have to get better. I have to overcome a lot of my own issues. Um, and it's just been a journey since then over the last five to seven years, really to kind of build up towards that. It's still going right. It's always going to be a journey. But that's really the big driver, I think, that drove more than anything. Whoa. Well, I, I definitely wasn't expecting that. <laughs> uh, but I can see I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. And I'm just imagining uh, how, how tough that could be, you know, because it's already hard enough to be married and, and to have kids and just to do your job and balance all those responsibilities. But then on top of that, you have those same responsibilities, but then you're also taking care of your wife. I can only imagine how difficult. Uh, you know, that could be, you know, just managing your time and then also just mentally with all the stress mm -hmm. and everything that's going on. And she's probably not having the best of days sometimes and she might yeah. irritate you. And so all just, that just kind of building up, it's really, uh, 
it really just makes me think about how tough this situation was for you. And I would definitely think that that could bust an ego right there whenever mm-hmm. you're going through it and you realize, you know, something's just not working for me. You know, I need to, mm-hmm. I need to sit down and like reevaluate. Maybe I'm not doing everything right because if I were, maybe things wouldn't be going like this. Maybe I wouldn't feel this way. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And, you know, I'll say it like I, I was pretty fortunate for most of my, I'm 38 years old now. Um, for much of my life, I was really lucky, fortunate, privileged, whatever, whatever word you want to put on it in, in all ways, really. But but um, I never really had adversity like that. People had died in my family and different things. And I think that ego that you go back to, um, you know, where you started this line of questioning, it was always there. Like I said, I was a people pleaser. I had some sense of that, but it never really was a huge problem because I was lucky. Right. There wasn't ever really any huge issues that came up. Um, I, 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 the issues that I had didn't, didn't make my life significantly worse. I was still generally happy, but when a situation like that comes up, like now you really get tested. Now it's like, Hey, what are you really made of? Because now it's going to come, it's going to depend on you. Like the situation is no longer just carrying you along with luck and fortune. It's what you're going to do, what you're going to make of it. And like I said, if I'm being totally honest, I don't just say it's for effect. At the beginning, I wasn't good enough. Like I wasn't made of enough to handle that situation. It was, it was breaking me ultimately. Um, but yeah, like that became clear. And, and again, back to that questioning and that a Drogo, it started with the simple fact of like, do I want to be angry all the time? And the obvious answer was no. And it's like, all right, what, what do I need to do about this? And at first it was like, well, I need to get my wife to do something different, or I need to get the doctors to fix this, or I need my job to understand this better. You know, it went external at first, but eventually, you know, you keep questioning. That's why the questioning is so important. You don't allow yourself that kind of easy cognitive out to be like, yeah, it's somebody else. You question, like, is it really though? What if I did get that? Or is it really realistic to expect that in my wife? And eventually, like, it came back to saying a lot of it's coming from you. And that sucks. Like, that's an inconvenient truth to have to face. And it's hard and it's uncomfortable. And it doesn't happen overnight, obviously. But, you know, to, I'm a firm believer that, like, the truth is the truth, whether we admit it or not. So we might as well admit it and, mm. and, be more efficient getting wherever we're trying to go. So it's interesting that you went on that line because I was actually going to ask, what, what do you think it was that stopped you from blaming everybody else? And I guess it, it pretty much answered the question, what you said, because the thing about blaming everybody else is that, you know, like you said, it is an easy out, a way to uh, not have that, that cognitive load on you, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, whenever the blame is put on somebody else outside of your situation, or I guess outside of you, it leaves no room for you to actually do anything to mm. change it. It's all up to them whether or not they're going to take this action that you think that they should take. And most of the time people never do because, you know, it's not as if they're supposed to guide their life around what you yeah. want. And that can lead to a lot of resentment. And so you get into that point where you decided instead of me worrying about what the doctors can do or maybe, you know, what my wife can do better, let me just worry about what I can do that can directly affect my situation. That seems like yeah. it's the route that you took and I can, I can see why. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally right. You're totally right. And you know, you blame others and, and sure. Listen, like it's, it's, I don't want to make it seem like it's always just you. Like you, you're always, Oh yeah, of course not. There's other things at play, but I think you're absolutely right. Like you blame other people, but then you still look at the outcome and you're like, but the outcome still sucks. Like I'm still not happy. Mm. I'm still resentful. Like this can't be, this can't be helping. So it's only so far you can go. And like, again, I think humility is such an important part of all this, like to be able to question honestly and and get to those answers, you need humility. You need to entertain the idea that you're not as good as you thought you were, or that things are different than the way you think they are. Um, And, and for me in spirit of that humility, like, 
in a lot of ways, I think the thing that allowed me to get here, it wasn't like anything special. Like I'm not, there's nothing special about it. I think the Adrogo type questioning certainly helped as a tool, but again, not to sound corny, but really it was the love for my wife because that mm-hmm. was kind of there. And, and I mean that very like logically as much as anything, because back to what I was saying before, like, well, I love her and I'm not going to leave her. Like, I don't want to see her suffer. So like, I didn't have the ability to do anything else. So I had kind of no choice, but to eventually figure it out. And it took me a while. Um, but ha- maybe had I not loved her as much or that love wasn't there for whatever reason, if it was a different type of situation where I need to exhibit that same kind of mental toughness and ability, I don't know that I would have, to be honest, at least that, that as, cl- as quickly as I did, um, because that drove a lot of it. So that was probably the unique thing too, that I think allowed me to, to get through it. And, and even when it was hard to kind of continue to push through it. So that's interesting how your relationship with your wife was what brought the best out of you at the end of the day. And Honestly, I think a lot of guys around my age, you know, even myself included until I've talked to guys like you that have had similar stories like this. I don't think a lot of us realize just how much value comes Mm -hmm. from having a woman in your life. You know, that's that's a good fit for you anyway, because, you know, at least like what you see, like in like like what they call the manosphere and that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And just from the type of girls that a lot of guys may come across, maybe in college and, you know, parties or at clubs and things like that, is that it seems like a lot of young guys get into the habit of maybe just looking at women as like, you know, someone that can offer sex to you or maybe like mm-hmm. clean and cook that sort of thing. But that one element that you just brought up, even though maybe it didn't come in the, in the best of ways, that is one of those things that people don't consider where, you know, this mm-hmm. is a person too, obviously, you know, with, mm-hmm. with feelings, with abilities and that sort of thing. And it just so happens that working together, you know, and living together can bring the best out of both of you. And mm. you bringing that up just makes me think about that, how if it weren't for at least what, based on what you said, if it weren't for her being in that position and having that pressure on you to do something, you wouldn't have gotten to the spot where you are now. Yeah, well said, man. I think that's well said. And I think that's right. Um, and, and I think it's, it's multifaceted in how that works, too. Like there's the, the traditional sense and how people think of that is just like you push each other to be better. Right. You, you want to be better mm. for the other person and the other person kind of brings out the best in you. Um, so, you know, I think that's a big part of it. And I think it's just, so I've always been somebody, it it probably ties to the people pleasing that feels like, you know, there's responsibilities in life and and you should live up to those responsibilities or at least do your best to do it. And for me, even just the, the idea of marriage fit into that for me, where, you know, put religion aside, although I'll bring it up because it was my case. I'm not particularly religious, but I did get married in a church. And part of the reason for that was like, I, I do want to say it in front of God. And if I'm being honest, I don't even know if I know if I believe God is real, but if he, if God is real, I wanted to say in front of God, like till death do we part in sickness and in health, because just saying those words for me, that means something. Like I said it in front of my family, my friends, and, and I, I want to stick up to that. I want to live up to that. I think that's part of what life is about is, is, is delivering for yourself and for others and being the person you want to be. Um, and I think that idea of marriage, committing yourself to something and saying, hey, this is my responsibility for better or for worse, it can force you or, or help you to rise to the occasion in some ways. So I want to make sure that I don't get off topic, but there is something I want to say that's related to that, actually, yeah, because yeah. this has been what you could say is an ongoing conversation between me and some of my friends about marriage. And mm-hmm. after I touch on this, we can go ahead and go back to the uh, yeah, wherever you to, like, go, to the stuff that like you talk about. But this is my take on it. So. You know, people, of course, get married that are religious or aren't religious. But something that I think uh, where I don't think it's a coincidence, I I can see a reason why there's a strong correlation. It seems like people that are religious 
tend to have marriages that last longer or that are more mm. successful. You know, of course, I think what the divorce rate right now in America is like over 50 percent or something like that. But due to the fact that I'm pretty sure marriage is like a, a religious concept, I think that's what it's rooted in. In a way, I feel like it's something that can be pivotal in keeping your marriage strong enough to actually stick and to not absolve over time. Because one thing mm. I would think is, you know, with the commandments that come from whatever, uh, scripture somebody subscribes to along with the social pressures that would come from the same people around mm. you that have that religion and the examples that you have around you of people that are having successful relationships that are grounded in, you know, the certain set of rules that they live by, uh, where, you know, and I know at least in Christianity, it talks about how you're supposed to, you know, have one wife and, and stay with mm. them for the rest of your life. Those things seem to me like they would be extremely important in making sure that a, a marriage is successful just because it seems as though if you don't have some sort of rules or some sort of measuring stick or standard or, you know, reason to stay kind of like how most people do in like, you know, just a regular world that aren't religious at any time that other person could decide, you know what? I really don't feel like growing. I really don't feel like sacrificing. I think I could find somebody better that I don't have to sacrifice for as much or that won't force me to grow. That will just take me as I am and they can just up and leave. And where are the consequences? It doesn't look mm -hmm. bad. And you know, just regular society, if you kind of see where I'm coming from. Yeah, I totally do. I think it's a really interesting insight. And and it and it I like it because it it appreciates the new like your your what you're saying, your analysis of it appreciates the nuance of the situation. Um, that there's a lot of aspects to it. And I think you're right. I think you're right that that religion does play that role. I think somewhat directly, as you said, because you know it's it's frowned upon in a lot of religions. There's probably also something to like the key tenets of religions and what you're founded in, and kind of that that faith and that sacrifice to a greater good. Um, mm -hmm. When you have that, you carry it over to marriage. I think the interesting question, building off what you're saying, is is that a good thing or a bad thing? To the extent there is a good or bad, it's probably individual for everybody. But like some people would look at that same information you just laid out and say like better to get divorced if you're not meant to be together in some ways maybe religion keeps people together that shouldn't be and they're not happy and the kids aren't happy and the family isn't happy and it leads to other issues so i think you're absolutely right i think i would just hesitate to put a value not saying you did but hesitate to put a value judgment on it if it's better or worse because again it's probably individual to, to different people as to what works for them right I, I can definitely see you're coming from and just to clarify the point that i was trying to make uh with the whole marriage thing is that at least when you have like the set of rules in place, you have a, uh, I guess you could say a reason to want yeah. to stay and to want to grow with the person. And it's yeah. seen as like the expectation in a way where, yeah. okay, you try and figure things out and like compromise and make it to where yeah. you have the best chance at this working. But something that I've noticed, and you know, of course I haven't been married, but you know, looking at like um, people that I've talked to and, you know, other people's relationships, one thing I noticed is that Nowadays, it seems like a lot of people view uh, potential partners as interchangeable. They don't really yeah. see it as somebody to to work with or say, hey, let's see if we can compromise in this and make things work between us. It's, oh, you won't take me, you know, just cut like I am or, you mm. know, you aren't mm. cutting the exact way that I want you to be. Well, I can just go find somebody else. That's the exact that's the exact thing that I want. And it really doesn't seem realistic to me. It kind of seems like from the religious standpoint, in a way, it shapes you to have a realistic expectation because it presents things in a way where you're going to have to compromise. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be hardship. And I think yeah. a lot of people have unrealistic expectations. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think in many ways, what you're doing with this show is trying to instill some of those things. I mean, great if people have religion and it's for them, but even if it's not, 
there's there's like at the root of what you're saying is it, there's this desire well there's some self-reflectiveness self-awareness of who you are and this desire to want to be better and mm-hmm. and if somebody is pushing you to be better or a situation is pushing you to be better to not hide from that to not run away from it to not be afraid of it but to lean into it and say yeah i wanted that anyway so let's go um and i think that's what's cool about what you're doing is and, and i think you're right i think religion has served that function for a lot of years in many ways you know beyond marriage as well um so i, I think it ties back to this conversation we're having the podcast you're doing yeah i agree with you right right definitely and um one thing too that's related to that to get back to the stuff that you know that you came to talk about uh to get to that point to where you're willing to grow takes putting your ego aside and something that we kind of talked about off air when we first met is that that seems to be something that a lot of guys struggle with, you know, and I think a lot of it could be societal pressure too, where society makes you think that you have to have everything figured out that you can't ask for help or uh, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't need help. You should be 100% independent at all times. And I think that kind of works to the detriment, to the detriment of guys, because of course you're not going to know everything. You're not going to have everything figured out. There are going to be times where you're going to make mistakes but whenever you don't go through life with that frame of mind, you know, and look to other people that might be wiser in different areas, it really just leads to a lot of struggle, kind of like mm-hmm. what you were talking about before with the with the ego and all that. But what would you yeah. say? I would ask, what would you say is like the biggest um, the biggest struggle you think most most guys have when it comes to their ego? So I have a theory, but it's it's based just on me. So I'll give you that theory, but but it's it's not. It's just a theory, right? It's not fully mm. thought through. So I'm debating if I want to give that first or the more the more like uh, hey. all thought through answer. I yep. guess I'll give the theory first. So like, I, I have a theory that for for many guys, maybe not all guys, but I think for a lot of guys, just from an evolutionary perspective, um, well, I, I'll say I think fear is at the root of ego. I think ego, the, the struggle of it, it's all rooted in fear, right? And and that makes sense to an extent, right? Like it makes sense that we as humans enjoy feeling good and pleasure more than we feel enjoy feeling pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. And when some, when you're fearful of something that brings discomfort, when you have to do something hard, like face that fear, overcome your ego, there's discomfort there. So like our natural, almost biological reaction is to resist that. Um, So fear I think is, is generally at the root of it. I think with guys in many times, and maybe it's just, you know, the age and time in which we grew up and the culture and the type of society and all that. But a lot of that fear is like, am I manly enough, you know, being emasculated, kind of what you're touching on. Um, but, but for me, even in a more primal way, what I found through much of my life is there was always this underlying fear, which I, I wouldn't have been able to, to pinpoint or speak to a few years ago of like literally fear of like physical confrontation. Cause in my mind, I always, the logical way my mind works is I always follow the thread to the conclusion. Um, and to me, like, if you have an issue with somebody, if there's an altercation, if you have a disagreement, if somebody insults, whatever it is, the end of that thread is physical confrontation. Mm-hmm. And I think fear of that, of being afraid of like, what if I can't handle that physical confrontation? What if I get beat up? What if I don't look manly enough? What if I'm not as tough as I like to tell myself that I am? Was at the root of a lot of my issues and why my ego was there. Like I was much more um, sure of myself, sure of my thinking, um, kind of that type of person who always thought they were right. I definitely like, I'm 6'3". I'm a pretty big dude. I like that because it gave the impression that I was bigger and tougher. I wanted people to think I was tough. I told myself I was tough to try and compensate. But with that compensation, which gave me some like short-term Band-Aid life like solution, comes an ego. Like you don't get that for free. That comes with an ego, which causes all sorts of issues. And and that's so that's my fear. I think the more general point is it's fear. Fear is what stops us because we don't like things that we don't like naturally. But I think the root of that fear for a lot of guys in whatever form it takes, maybe it's not physical confrontation, but is like to your point, 
there's an expectation of what it is to be a man. I want to be manly. I want to live up to what I'm supposed to be. And if I feel like I'm not good enough in some way to do that, then I need my ego because that's the only way I can get through life. It's really interesting to think about because deep down, a lot of guys know that they're frauds. You know, and you know that their ego is really just a mask. But like you said, they feel like it's like a survival mechanism mm. to like kind of keep threats off of you. And so they just keep doing it. And then it gets to the point where you build your whole identity. You know, everybody just knows you just based on this ego that you're putting out and not who you actually are. And I feel like whenever you're living in, a, in that type of way where you're never actually putting your authentic self out there, it has to be like your friendships, your relationships, uh, pretty much everything you do just has to be so unfulfilling because it's mm. not for you. It's for that ego that you're putting out there that it's a fake person, essentially, like yeah. a, a character. Yeah, I would I would also use the term exhausting is, is mm -hmm. how I would describe it for myself personally, probably because it's not fulfilling. So you're not getting kind of that nourishment. So that's definitely part of it. But it's just so much work to, to, to externally manage that and maintain it. And, and God forbid somebody does something that that threatens that ego. Like, mm. well, now I got to do something about that. Not even just physical confrontation, just in general. Like if, if my boss says I'm not good enough at work or, or implies that in some way, now I got to think about that all night and I got to convince myself of how I still am good enough. And then I got to take some actions to try and compensate or whatever. Right. There's just so much. And then that, that internal, just all the energy and resource spent internally trying to manage and maintain that ego. Cause you said it, right? Like your authentic self, what I've found now as I approach it more, it's so natural and comfortable. It's so liberating. It's so the opposite of what we're talking about and that like load and burden that comes with managing an ego. Um, so yeah, the, just the exhaustion, I think that's one of the biggest things I've noticed of like the benefits of not having the ego among many other things you talked about. Um, I just feel like I have so much more energy and I'm less physically and mentally exhausted. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that because I know when ego used to be a big issue for me, I could never really be at ease. I was always anxious, always felt like I was somewhat out of place. And I'd always be in my head wondering how am I coming across to people? Right. Mm, mm. And so I'm glad that, you know, I've been doing the work to get out of that, that headspace, you know, always falling victim to my ego. But there is one thing I'll say that is a um, really, you could say is like a, a tactical advantage to having, let's say maybe like that, that overconfidence or, or that arrogance that might come with ego sometimes it's that it definitely makes sure that you take advantage of the opportunities that are for you, that are, there are for people at your level. Cause, mm -hmm. and, and like, I gave this example to one of my friends one time because uh, they, they like to go to the club a lot. Personally, I'm not much of a club guy, but you know, if it's a special occasion or if it's somebody's birthday, you know, we'll, we'll go out there, we'll go hang out for a little bit. But uh, the example that I gave him was that, you know, the guy that's got that, that big ego and, you know, is really convinced himself that he's, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying not to cuss on my own podcast because, <laughs> because you know, anyone could be listening to this, you know, kids, whatever. So yeah, I, I try yeah, not yeah. to, but I'm, I'm really struggling to think of a, of a, of a <laughs> Sometimes term for that's it. just the right word. Yeah. yeah I mean, a guy that thinks he's hot shit, yep. essentially. The thing about it is that, you know, he can, he can think that he deserves to go talk to, you know, girls that he would consider maybe like, you know, nines mm. and tens, mm. you know, and he, you know, might get, you know, want him to give him his number or something like that. But him having that overconfidence, even though they may, they may be out of his league, mm. it definitely makes sure that the girls that are actually in his league, he would never miss out on talking to because he's like, oh, of course I deserve to, to talk to girls like this. Mm. 
And so that, that's why I can say it's like one tactical advantage that comes with it. And of course, that's not just like talking to women that could be like in your corporate environment, all yeah. of that, just like that, the confidence that you would carry, you know, from just having that, that arrogance, and that ego. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I love the conversation. I love the way you think, because it, it, the word I often say is nuanced, right? Mm-hmm. All these things are nuanced. So it's not, it's never as simple as just, oh, do this or oh, do that. Cause you're exactly right. If you start optimizing for like ego, that's the problem. I got to get rid of it. I need to be more humble. I need to be more open and authentic to who I am, more vulnerable, all those things. Those are good things. But as anything in life, right? Balance, moderation, all that. There's a lot of function to, to ego, to confidence. Um, it drives a lot of things. So I think back to that, that Adrogo type philosophy of questioning, that's a good illustration, I think, of, of the value of it, right? Like, so we're on a thread right now, you and I talking about ego, right? Got to get rid of ego. You coming in with a point being like, well, let's think maybe there's some value to ego. That's like the perfect embodiment of it. And you keep going with that loop and you keep asking those questions and you never get to a point of feeling like, yep, this is it. Um, Cause I totally agree. I think that's something I've balanced, tried to balance a lot because I, I don't want to lose my ambition. Like I still mm-hmm. want to achieve things in life. Um, I still want to succeed. And you're right. A lot of people that we do see succeed do have a big ego, do have a lot of confidence. So there is some function in it. So it's finding that right balance kind of taking those things that work for you, that are authentic for you, you know, that have some value, but being thoughtful about it, right? Being as thoughtful as you can. So you're not kind of just guessing or, or randomly picking things. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from. I'm glad that you tied it back into uh, a Drogo because now I, I see the connection. Whenever you were first uh, saying it, I was like, wait. And I thought about it. Yeah, we're <laughs> doing the exact process yeah, right now. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, I guess to continue on the process, you could say that uh, one of the downsides to you know, being humble or, or not really having an ego is that you can get to the extreme side of it where you kind of start to undersell yourself. And I'll even say that that's something that I struggle with personally, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, let's say an opportunity comes up uh, for me uh, to you know go on someone else's show or something like that. You know, I might you know, have that thought in my head, like, huh, am I really qualified to go and speak mm-hmm. about this specific topic on that person's show? And of course, you know, ego would be kind of helpful right there because it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that would make me say, of course I can do that. And I would go and hop on the other person's show and do the interview. But, you know, on the other side of the coin, I might not be qualified at all and make myself look like a complete idiot. So, mm-hmm. you know, really, I would say the closer you can get to actually having like an accurate measure yeah. of who you actually are, the better. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a give and take thing. You kind of have to work your mm-hmm. way back and forth, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, clarity is the word I use a lot too. Like mm-hmm. you want clarity on the situation. And, and I think, you know, again, to tie it back to a Drogo and, and the process a little bit, um, exactly the conversation we're having, exactly the things you're illustrating. It's, 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 it's how our mind works, right? It's constantly, you know, it, it, the way I'd say it, it's constantly telling us stories and narratives. You're not good enough. You are good enough, whatever. Th- there's all reasons that I think our minds do what it does. And a lot of it, I think is subconscious, but, but the point is it gets to like a root of not trusting that right? Not, not that you should never trust your own mind, not that you're always wrong, whatever you think is always wrong. It's just really hard to tell when you are because we're, we're, we're messed up. There's so many influences. There's so many things that impact us and drive us. We do want to be better, but we don't want to be jerks. And it's so, the world and life is complex. So that's why I think trying to strip away like the emotion, not, not that emotion is bad. There's, there's a lot to embrace in emotion, but it's an input. It's a data point trying to strip away, um, doing it more in gut feel or instinct to me, 
the best way to do it is to follow like a logical analytical thought process because that gets you more accurate. That gets you more clarity. It doesn't allow you to just stop at a certain point, but that's probably that. It doesn't allow you to just feel a certain way and be like, well, this feels uncomfortable and I feel scared to do this. Um, I think that logical questioning thought process gives you a better chance. It doesn't guarantee anything. It's not magic by any means, but it just ups the odds that you're going to have a more accurate view of what it is. And then once you have that, you make your decision of what you want to do, but at least you're doing it based on more likely accurate information. Absolutely. And one thing to kind of harp off what you said, I imagine it makes the system much more efficient whenever you Mm. gain more and more self-awareness. Like if you can look back and think about all the different, you know, events or stimuli that might be in your life or different biases, you know, just from your background that you've grown up in that can lead to you maybe going down a certain line of thinking for a certain issue having all those things in mind that you're consciously considering can make it to where you can get much more clarity, like you were saying, and come to the best end result. Like if you know, okay, I may not have the best perspective on this just because, you know, in my, in my upbringing, you know, I I experienced the complete opposite. Mm. You can keep in mind, you know, maybe what what would somebody do with that? That was closer to something like that. And Mm. I would think that it would give you better results. Yeah, for sure. I, I almost think about it like mathematically, not, not quite literally, but that like every decision, every thought, every action, there's like a calculation constantly running back to what I was saying before, trying to figure out like, how do I optimize goodness for me? How do I optimize feeling good, pleasure, you know, that sensation of, of happiness, whatever it is, that's constantly what we're trying to do. Everything we do, decisions we make, thoughts we have, whatever we say, it's all being run through that. A lot of it, you know, as, as science would tell us, is happening in the subconscious level. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it as math, the way, the way I often say it is like, if you're not doing this questioning, if you're not constantly checking yourself and being self-aware and self-reflective, you're probably doing that math at like a second grade level. Cause that's kind of how our subconscious works. It's just quick efficiency move, you know, very superficial. What makes me feel good right now. What I like to think of is like with this questioning, you want to get to like a PhD level of math and, and really be looking at this. So you understand all the variables, all the factors, as you said, how the weighting plays out, you know, all the different intricacies of that equation that you're running. So that's most sophisticated, right? Because if you're trying to send like a rocket to the moon, basic second grade, you know, arithmetic is not going to get you there. You need like PhD level physics type, you know, mathematics to do that. And I think trying to eliminate your ego is not all that different than trying to get a rocket ship to the moon in many ways. So you need to match the level of sophistication intellectually to do that. I love it's not that about analogy. intelligence. I think that's important, right? It's not about intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's more about like that awareness, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. I like that analogy a lot when you brought the math into it, because I, I think that's like a really good way to frame it because yeah, to, for me to, you know, figure out, let's say how to shoot a basketball or something like that. Pretty basic math that we're keeping that same analogy. But if you're trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to get to the point where you can be the CEO of a, of a fortune 500 company, that's some, that's some advanced math. You know, that's essentially like, you know, rocket science type math. Yes. And so uh, with all the variables that come into that and for the duration of time and all the things you have to change within yourself to be able to get to that point, uh, I can definitely see how that analogy works for it. Yeah. And, and you know, to tie it back for me personally, where we started with the situation with my wife, that was probably literally for me, like, I got to get to the moon somehow, like literally, like this is not necessarily because the situation was super complex, but it was emotionally complex in mm-hmm. that way. And and the, to have to overcome your ego at a time when there's so much stress and pressure and, you know, things are happening in a way which you didn't plan for and all that. Like, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like you got to be PhD level to, to try and even have a chance to do that. Uh, and that's what I, what I'm striving towards. I'm not there, but I'm trying I mean, that's the best thing you can do. Just um, shoot for it. And that could be like a lifelong pursuit if you think about it. 
yeah. just always consistently trying to be better. You know, it's pretty much the mission I try to I try to promote with the podcast. So it all yeah. aligns. But um, yeah, now that we've uh, we pretty much touched on the process and everything, ego. And so one question I like to ask you before we uh, start to close things out is um, what would and this isn't necessarily related to what, what we've talked about. Yeah. I would ask, what would you say is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Hmm. You know, I, 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 you ask that question and I hear that question often. And I always think like, I don't know how people always have such a quick answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the best piece of advice I was ever given. Or maybe the one that stuck with you. Maybe yeah, it's so not I, the I best. I have one but... in my head, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I, I hear you. Um, I think my brother said this to me somewhat recently, and, and I don't even think if he heard me say this, I think he'd be like, really? That's what you gave your answer as? But I think there's truth to it. Uh, and it's a common phrase, but uh, uh, say what you mean, mean what you say. For me, that that's big. I say that to myself often. I find myself thinking and saying that often. And part of that's back to that people pleaser side of me. For much of my life, I did not say what I mean. I did not mean what I said. So that's like a constant reminder to check myself back in the spirit of that checking question yourself. If I'm writing an email to my boss, if I'm about to say something to my parents or somebody, whatever it is, um, I often run it through that filter. Like, am I saying what I mean? Do I mean what I'm saying? Um, and I think if you're doing that, it gets to the spirit of authenticity. It gets to the spirit of, of um, you know, the clarity of the situation that you thought through it. And yes, I do mean to say this and all that. So that's probably the one that, that comes to mind most. All right. Thank you for sharing that. And so lastly, for anyone that would want to find you, uh, where should they go? Yeah, I'd say uh, best place is, is the podcast. That's kind of what I'm all in on right now. So uh, it, it's called What's the Value? Um, it's I'm on Instagram. That's probably the best way. So it's it's What's the Value podcast with an underscore in between each word. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also have a YouTube channel uh, under my name. So I, it's under Terrence McMullen. Um, my full name. And that's kind of just like my video journal kind of, but I make it public. And, and at one point I did a video every day for a year. Now I kind of do it a little more infrequently, maybe once, twice a week, but it's just this type of stuff as well as sometimes, you know, current event stuff, but just my thinking, a lot of it's just doing that Adrogo process live. Uh, and I kind of just put it out there more for me than anybody else. It's not like I have a huge following, but that's, that's the other place I'd say. All right. Thank you for that. And so that pretty much wraps up another episode of improvement. Once again, I really appreciate you coming on to the show, Terry. Uh, for anybody that you know likes the show, make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can also check it out on YouTube or check out the website, which is improvementpodcast.com. But yeah, thanks again for coming to the show, Terry. No, thanks for having me, man. Come on, this was, this was awesome. Uh, I think what you're doing is awesome, and I love the way you think. So th- thank you for having me, honestly. Hey, I appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation, too. Likewise. All right, take care. All right.